thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Hey, my name is Rachel. Welcome to church today. We're so glad that you're here. Um, Hey, my um, husband and I, that was my husband, Nathan, and we moved here about seven years ago or so now, and it's such a joy to be honestly a part of this community, and we're just so thrilled with the way that God has used, honestly, so many of you in our lives to minister to our kids and us in ways that I never expected to be such a gift, so really excited to be in this community with all of you. So this, um, I really love Jesus, and it's such an honor to be able to share the word of God with you this morning on behalf of Pastor David and Renata. They are on vacation. How many of you know that, that they serve our community so faithfully? And I am just so happy for them that they can be on vacation, but you are not on vacation, and so we need to list, lean in together here this morning, right? <laughs> you wanna be on vacation? <laughs> just kidding. That's so good. Hey, let's pray real quick. You can go to Genesis 12 after we pray, but let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing in our community. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have called us and chosen us, God, that you have given us your son and you've given us your spirit. And so that makes all the difference in our lives, God. Help us to lean in this morning and listen to you. In Jesus' name, all of Radiant said, Amen, amen. Hey, the goal of today is really this. It's really to reorient kind of how we look at the calling of God on our lives. So a small task, okay, a small task, but it's really to kind of reposition how we look at it and how we view it because as followers of Jesus, we can step into relationship with him and he transforms us constantly. And that's actually the thing that makes us more effective in order to do the mission he's called us to do, which is to reach people. And somehow, I don't understand it at all, somehow the God of the universe wants us to know how much we matter, that he loves us, and that our lives actually matter. And so if you're a note taker, the message today is it's more than you realize There's a lot that's more than we realize. It's more than you realize. And so the three ideas that we're gonna cover today are these, that you've been called for a lot longer than you realize, that we've all been given more authority than we act like sometimes, and we are chosen even when we don't feel capable. And so we're gonna travel back to Genesis 12. You can turn there, and we are going to study the father of faith, Abraham, this morning, and what we can glean from his walk. I, um, fun fact, when I think of walks, I think of fields. I grew up on a farm, and my life was kind of like Little House on the Prairie a little bit. Anybody else grow up like that? Because that makes me feel much more, okay, got it. Okay, I feel like I'm with my people. Okay, I just needed that for myself. All right. 
So you've been called for longer than you realize. Genesis 12, let's look at that. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you powerful tag on here. It says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him. You see, this seemingly normal guy gets three promises from God. He was called and he was given a lot of transformation. One of the things that was going to transform in his life was his name. So he was Abram. He was actually going to be transformed into Abraham. Throughout this message, we'll try to refer him to Abraham, so it's a lot less confusing. But his name was going to change among lots of other things. And he was given a mission that would yield some pretty big results. And so are you. See, you and I are called. You're chosen. You cannot run from it. You can't deny it. You can't pass it off. And it actually has no expiration date. It never ends. And so he knew who he was calling in Abraham and he knew who he was calling in you and I. And Abraham didn't always believe every single thing that God said about him fully. He didn't always believe it. That's not why he's called the father of faith. There's other reasons. He didn't always believe it. And you and I might not always believe everything that God says about us in his word, because oftentimes it can be a lot easier for us to believe it for someone else, because we don't know them as much as we know ourselves. And so for ourselves, we dial it down a little bit in what we really believe that God says about us. But God is inviting and reminding us today to walk in it. It says Abraham received a promise and then it said he left. He obeyed just on a word. And God's reminding us to walk in it. How many of you have ever felt called but you can agree that it's kind of complicated? It's a little complicated. It is. Maybe sometime in your past you've had some sort of, I don't know, God encounter. Maybe you just feel like you feel hopeful that God will use you. Or maybe you feel a sign. Maybe you look at something in your life with great purpose. Maybe you look at some way the Lord has kind of been pulling you. And it may not be perfect, but you still feel it. And maybe you've come to realize, like me, that there's a lot of ups and downs in this world. And sometimes there's more downs than there are ups, it feels like sometimes. And people apparently aren't perfect, apparently. Not anyone that you're sitting next to, but maybe some other people, right? Some other people somewhere out there. They're not perfect. And sometimes the sin of this world that's in front of us can look like such a big obstacle, especially when we stare at it. But see, in Genesis 3, just a few, a few chapters before this is when sin entered the world, and it got really complicated. It got complicated. And here we are just a few chapters later in Genesis 12, and God is already revealing another layer of his plan because he always has a plan, and he has a plan for you too. Maybe like Abraham, you could think, um, well, he called, and I did answer. I'm doing the thing. I'm doing part of what I'm called to do, but are you still there, God? Are you still there? You're with me, right? Are you still in it with me? Anybody else ever feel like that before? Are you still, are you still with me? Because you'd expect for Abraham 
you'd expect that he had this really profound encounter. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless all peoples through you. Like no pressure, just that's what I'm going to do through you. And maybe you feel like him, like you answered, you did some stuff. So certainly it would be like green light go, all the way green lights, doors open, no obstacles. This is going to be great because I know that God just called me. But Abraham would tell us differently because after this point, Famine struck the land of Canaan. Him and his wife, Sarah, had to leave and go to Egypt where Pharaoh tried to take her as his wife twice. That's complicated, you know? And then Abraham's beloved nephew, Lot, gets captured. He just gets snatched up. And Abraham is coming to be very skeptical of God. He re-approaches God and actually God calls back. And God calls back in Genesis 15, 1. Maybe God's calling back you this morning and reminding you this too. It says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. I'm your very great reward. God says, I got you. He, see, he's skeptical of God's promises and he asks God for a sign. He says, you have given me all these promises and so far you fulfilled none of them. And so this time I want a sign. I want a sign that says that you're really going to do the thing that you've told me that I'm going to do, or you're going to do it in and through me. I really want to know what it is. And so God takes Abraham outside of his tent, out of his circumstances, and he tells him, just like he does us, look up, look up, Abraham. And in Genesis 15, five, he says, count the stars if you're able, if you are able God commanded him, as countless as the stars, he assured him, so shall your descendants be. Now, there's two schools of thought here when you really study this passage out. The first one is this, that it was nighttime. It was nighttime when God took Abraham outside of the tent. He said, look up to the sky. Try to count the stars, Abraham, if you can. Just try. These is, this is your sign. These are going to be like your descendants. And Abraham couldn't count. He couldn't quantify. He couldn't measure any bit of what God was about to do in and through him. And neither can you. You can't do it. You can't always grasp it. You can't always get a hold of it. You, you can't always control and measure it. You can't always do that. The second school of thought is this, is that other people believe that it was actually daytime when God took Abraham outside of his tent. They believe this because in a few verses, it says the sun was going down. And so the thought there is that they believe that God was saying, hey, Abraham, look up to the blue sky. Count the stars if you are able. I can't, it's daytime. I can't see them. And God was saying, exactly. Because just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not really there, hidden behind the blue sky. And this night yet that you're in, oh yeah, that's when you're really gonna be reminded of what promises that I actually have for you because it's the thing watching over you even when you're in the dark. And either way, that, that wants to resonate with you. You can't quantify everything God wants to do through you and you certainly can't realize that anything other than he's with you even when you don't understand it. And Hebrews 11, if you go to the New Testament, Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham too in the chapter of faith. And it opens up with a definition of faith, which is this. It opens up and it says, now faith is confidence. I love to be confident. 
Faith is confidence. Great. In what we, oh wait, does it say in what we know for sure? No. It looks like it says in what we hope for. Okay, great. That's just an idea out there. Great, okay. For and assurance, and other translations say evidence. I love evidence. I love facts. About what we, oh, what we see. No, it says what we do not see. And I think it's interesting that the father of faith had that whole scenario, and that's how Hebrews 11 starts reminding us of what faith really is. And God is just saying to us, do you still believe me? Do you still believe that I can really do all the things in and through you, even though you might have messed up and even though some years have gone by and even though some things have happened and some things that happened that weren't really great? Do you still understand that the fruit of your life can be hidden in the day and revealed in night? Do you still understand that I'm still with you? And Abraham would remind us a couple things. He would remind us, are we surrendered? Ooh, ouch. I don't always like that. Are we surrendered? Are we surrendered to his will that we understand on the timeline of God's story that our lives are just this blip, but that blip and that vapor matters a lot to God more than we realize? Do, are we surrendered to his will and the part we play in his story? Or are we just thinking about our stories? Are we surrendered to his results? He'd ask us that. Are we surrendered to the fact that following Jesus, anyone, anyone a self-identifying um, control person, anybody? No, too vulnerable, not, we're not there yet. We're not those kind of friends yet. Okay, got it. Just a few of us. Okay, we're tight. All right, if you ever understand that, that following Jesus, we have absolutely zero control over how much what we do actually matters. Like you don't really get to determine that, only he does. We don't determine the impact. We don't determine the reach. We don't determine the fruit. Only he does. And that's amazing if you think about it because you can live free of the burden of performance when you're doing things for God and the result because only he controls that. We don't. And so Abraham would tell us, hey, what are your motives? Because man looks at talent. I love talented people. Man looks at talent, but God looks at the heart. He looks at the motive. And the motive of the Christian is always this. All we do is for his glory. That's it. That's the only motive. So it's his name, his fame, not mine. His applause, not mine. His strategies on how to do things, not ours. Oh, we don't like this one. What about his timing? His timing, not ours. Because God controls time, we don't. So there's no expiration dates that you can put on the call of God on your life, right? And so he would remind us all those things. You see, we're created for his glory. It's part the reason of why he, what he had in mind when he created each and every single one of us. And so you've been called into that for a lot longer than you realize. Let's talk about this other idea. You have more authority than you act like. Anybody like to be in charge? Come on, some people, they, you love it. Like you just are like, I will tell you what to do. I will line you up. Okay, got it. We're starting to get to know each other. I like this, like a freedom group. All right. So you, you have more authority than you act like. Genesis 12, one, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, wherever you find yourself living today, 
whether you're in the room or online, wherever, whatever street you live on, whatever workplace environment you take part of and they give you a paycheck, whatever family that you are in, relationships, any of that, God knew exactly where you would be at the exact time you are here. He knew all of this. It's no surprise to him at all. And this is, whether we like it or not, this is the land that he has shown you and I. And that's really important because we can oftentimes think only as the land, this idea that he's taking us on this journey and our whole purpose and all of these things are just, it's gonna be better somewhere out there, somewhere way far away in some future destination. And that's really important. And I spent a lot of time when I was a kid with babysitters. Anybody kind of raised a little bit by babysitters? Anybody? We're not gonna, we don't wanna disrespect our parents that way. Okay. Um, I was, and I spent a lot of time with babysitters and some of their theology came out and they would probably um, maybe be proud of me in this moment. I don't know. But these are the days of our lives right now, like today, these ones. And there's purpose and there are people and there are places that he has called us to be today. Today. And so we can't allow the scenery of our lives, if we like where we are, if we like the people we're with, if we like the situations we're in, we cannot allow the scenery of our lives to be more sought after and understood than the God who goes with us in every single one of those places. So we can't always look forward to something else over the shoulder. I heard it said like this once, it really, it really was profound to me. It's like, we trust God and we're looking at God, but, and I love you, but I'm also looking at over his shoulder, like, but what else is next for me? Because I don't know if I like what's happening right now. So the question then becomes, what are you gonna be doing with what you've already been given? What are you gonna do with what you've already been given? Because you've been given a lot. Now this world is pretty dark. Can we all agree? Anybody? And there's a lot of hardship sometimes when you're trying to look at all the stars in the sky, but there's all these clouds blocking and obstacles and things happening. But God wants to remind us again today that central to our theology is this, that God and Satan, they're not equal opposites. They're not playing on the same level ground. That's not how it's ever been. Satan has always been less than, outranked, outperformed with lesser ability than our God. It has always been that way. That's one of the reasons why we can be a billion percent sure that in the end, God wins. That's how it ends. And if you have accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, then his son's authority lives in you through Jesus. In Jesus' name, you have certain amounts of authority, but oftentimes we don't really grasp his willingness to use us because we can stop believing that all the things that God says about his people and all the things that God says he can do in and through a surrendered person are somehow no longer always applying to us as if we are the ones who can control if it applies or not. And that's not true. The other thing that we can sometimes start doing when we think about what we're trying to do for God is grade on some sort of making a different scale where somehow it only matters with certain people in certain places, with certain scenarios where everything is just right. But we did not get that from him. It's certainly not in the Bible because when Jesus came, he spent time with the lowliest of sinners in the streets and he spent time with the highest of government officials and he revealed himself 
to both. He spoke to huge crowds where people came to believe in him. And he spoke to one woman at one well, the least valued person in the least valued place where no one was even around to see it because he valued both. And Abraham setting his foot, when he says, go to the land, Abraham setting his foot on the land to God, that meant ownership. And our Bibles remind us that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. So Jesus owns, God owns every inch of this planet and he lives in you and I. And so you can set your foot firmly in the situations of your life, believing that God is with you, that his authority is already there. That's what's in here. Do you believe it? See, the entire idea of Abraham being sent is this. God was revealing his plan to recover the thing he loved most, which are people. And the presence of God in us is this. He automatically gives us a mission. You don't have to complicate the calling of God on your lives. We don't have to make it so complicated. He gives us a mission automatically. It's people. It's every person in your life. Think about them. Think about all the people in your life, the people next to you at work, the people that are on your street or in your apartment building, the people that you pass all the time. Every person is a part of your mission of what could God do there? What could God do there? What could he do with that person, that relationship? He gives us places. So every place you live, work, and play, he sends you. He gives us tasks because faith is actually active and we have to do some stuff. He gives us prayers because every one of them matter. He gives us words so that when we are out and we refuse to actually have small talk at the baseball field, let's try to turn it into meaningful talk because maybe God is giving some authority in this situation. And you walking in your God-given assignments, whatever that is, people, places, all the situations that you're in, you looking at your life like that and walking into those assignments, listening to the Holy Spirit and trying to be a surrender to him as we possibly can, it will be effective because he cannot deny himself. And he is the one that changes everything. And so where we carry him, the presence of God in us, where we go, you can be assured that the darkest of days that someone is having can have hope because he can use you. You can be assured that every single thought that someone has that they aren't good enough for God, his grace can come through you and cover it. You can be assured that every single time someone says, if I went to church with you, the building would set on fire. I am too bad. I have done too much. No way could I do that. Uh Uh-uh. God can use you and love covers all of that in knowing no way. You can be assured that no matter what you see on the news, that where Jesus walks, idols in this nation, they tremble. They start to get uneasy because he has that kind of authority because he cannot deny himself. And at some point, you just have to go. You just have to listen and obey. You just have to go do the last thing that he called you to do. Don't overcomplicate it. What did he call you to do? Because you and I could sit all day. Any overthinkers? Let's get real freedom group here. Any overthinkers? Yes. 
See, we're loosening up. You can, you can sit there all day and ask who, what, why, when, how. That one time I did it, it didn't work out. At that one church, that happened. Over there, I think those people are crazy. They might be, I don't know. You could have any of those situations and come up with all of these reasons why. But Abraham was only given a word. He was not given a map. He was not given the resources. He was not even given a bunch of people to start the nation with. He wasn't given anything but a promise and a word. And it said he left. He went. He went to take the land. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's a beautiful reminder. It says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know Oh, here's something we can know, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means it means something, probably more than we realize. So um, my dad, my dad was a farmer. Like I said, it was kind of like Little House on the Prairie. And um, he was on an excavating business. So I'm just trying to paint a picture of what he was like. I was around, I don't know, 22 years old. So, you know, just a couple years ago. And... Um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I'm just kidding. Um, it was a while ago. So about, it was around 22 years ago. And he, I was coming to him pretty much stressed out, telling him, hey, I don't really know. I was laying all my insecurities about this new work environment that I was now supposedly supposed to go into. And I was like, no way, dad, here's all the things I don't know. Here's the things that I don't feel like solid enough about. I don't know if they really realize that I really don't know anything. I'm super young. They're going to eat me alive. You know, all these things. And I was just going on and on and on about all the reasons why certainly they can't use me. Certainly, I don't know. They, I don't know how I even made it past the interview. What am I going to do? And he, very rarely did he ever really get super stern with me, but that day he did. He would have absolutely none of it. He was not going to listen to that at all. And he said, Rachel, you walk into that room. You walk into that room like you belong there and you don't let anyone tell you that you don't. And that's it. We don't have to talk about this anymore. I was like, okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got it. And 1 Corinthians would tell us, like it just did, that once we get going, that we let nothing move us. And God would remind us that the authority that he's given in you and I puts us in a position to walk into a room like God sent us there. And to walk into the room like he's the one who wants to transform and do some things in the environments in our lives. Because there's a point to your life. It's actually not meaningless there's a lot of meaning to your life, your everyday days that even you're a little bit confused about sometimes. Does this day even matter? It matters. And the three things the Lord would remind us of again this morning to invest in are the things that last forever. And there's only three things that actually last forever, which is God, his people, and his word. And so as we look at our lives and we look at what, are, what am I spending my days doing? What kind of meaning is there? It's God and it's his people and it's his word. Sometimes people think, well, if God wins in the end, then why do I have to participate at all? Why do I have to do anything at all? The point of all of that is that maybe you're gonna lose your destiny 
Well, maybe you're not going to reveal him to a lost and broken world. Maybe you're not going to actually take the land and take back the things that he wants to take back in his son's name. That's it. Just those major things that we could be losing out on. You see, the point isn't that if you don't do it, that God somehow still will. The point is absolutely that this is what he's all about. People. And these are the things that he sent his son for, the people. And God is not somewhere up high looking and creating this list for all of us to do with our lives and then looking down and grading how well we're doing. That's not who our God is. Our God is the one who looks at you and I, a bunch of fishermen and a bunch of people like that, who looks at us and says, come follow me. And this is what I'm actually always about. We have a God who does it with us. You see, but we have to know our word. We have to know our word because there's a lot of things in here and a lot of things that aren't in here that we can get hung up on and we can think are actually who God is and, and what he actually says about us. And they're not actually in here. You say, some people will say, well, it's not easy. It's not easy to do the things that God wants us to do. I'm actually not perfect. He knows that. He's 100% certain that you weren't. That's why he sent Jesus, right? So let's get that straight. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not God's will for you to do it. Just because. Because in here, it's pretty clear that him carrying a cross didn't look very easy. And he was called to do it anyway. It was the whole mission of his life. You say, well, it's not natural. It's not natural to me. Okay, him... Um, him becoming, uh, well, he was already the supreme ruler of the universe. He stepped out of heaven. He became a baby. He went into a stable. He lived in a, an anonymous life for 30 years. Then he started doing a whole bunch of stuff, washed disciples' feet. Oh, wait, it doesn't look like that was natural. It looks like in our Bibles, it was supernatural. And it'll be supernatural for you too. It doesn't always come naturally. You'll think, well, it's, it's not that, it can't be that simple. And actually, I'm too simple. I don't know enough of God's word. I don't know about all of this stuff. It's too simple. Okay, well, Jesus, when he came, he spoke in parables. He told stories, and they were all really simple. They were like about sheep and yeast and lamps and fields. Why did he do that? Well, he did that in order to reach the very people that he came to connect with. And God can use every simple thing of your life, every single one, if we surrender it to him, he can use it. People will say, well, I'm not allowed. I don't know where we get that, but it's not in here because it looks like no one needs to affirm you if he does. And it looks like no one needs to tell you your idea is good if it's his idea to begin with. And it looks like in here, no one needs to be able to tell you that you now suddenly have permission to walk fully as the man or woman of God that he calls you to be. It's nowhere in here. He calls you to it. Well, I've done all of that before. Okay, well, in here, it looks like our purpose never ends. It looks like that while we're still breathing, God's purpose still lives on in us. It, oh, okay, it does say sometimes it can look different in different seasons. Okay, got it. Well, I don't do it like they do. I don't do the things of God like they do. Okay, it looks like in here, he doesn't compare what he creates. He just calls it all good. Okay, well, I've been hurt 
Oh, he was betrayed too. I'm tired. It looks like he was tired too. You see, it looks like to me, it's as if he knew that it would be really hard and that people would probably misunderstand you, misinterpret you, underestimate you, disqualify you, have no idea what you're really trying to do. It's as if he knew that and somehow he knew that he had to become our ultimate example and he has the one that actually says, oh, I'll come down and show you how to do it because I don't have expectations from you that I wouldn't do myself. So I sent my son and and this is what he says, come follow me. And this is what I'm about. It's as if he knew that. And so what's our message? Our message is always this. It's not supposed to be this way. Even this weekend as we go and serve next Saturday and all the places that you live your life and serve people and do things and, and represent God. It, the message is so simple. It's not supposed to be this way. So here's some food for your family because I get it, you don't have enough and it's not supposed to be like that. Here you go. Here's some hope for your marriage. It's not, supposed, it's not supposed to be that way. Here's a place that you can take and that can help you with, you with your unborn baby as you choose life. Are you kidding me? Because it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be so complicated. It's not supposed to be this way. I will willingly stay again after work and listen to your messed up life again because I feel like God is saying, hey, let's go in there. Let's take the land because maybe, maybe, maybe he'll be what Isaiah says and calls him, which is the repairer of broken walls. He's the restorer of streets with dwellings. And just maybe he'll use you if you stay a little while longer. So we better walk into the rooms of our lives like we know that his authority is in us and like he sent us there because it matters a lot more than you realize. When you think about the things that God, or not God, that the enemy used to distract and try to take Abraham away from his purpose, it's the same things he uses over and over again. You can read all about Abraham this week. That's your assignment. You can read all about it this week. But the three things that were always used were distractions, discouragements, disappointments. There was a lot of those and delays. He was questioning God's timing. And all of those lies will come at you again and again as you start to do things and live your life for God to the best that we're feebly able to. And all of those will come, but you have authority over each and every single one of them. Don't forget it. Every time you take a small step of obedience, every time, every person, every place, every amount of your purpose that you try to obey and follow, it matters. It matters more than we often realize does. All right, let's talk about this last idea. You're chosen even when you don't feel capable. You are. So you might think, of course, Abraham was capable because God chose him. That would be extremely logical. Any logical people in here? We're going we're gonna to cover the whole everything. Okay. I'm a very logical person. Logically, you would think that God would do that. Now, in the ancient world, the world that was already existing when Abraham was called, there were these signs where men and women that had a lot of children were highly esteemed. They were valued. They were placed in these positions of authority. So logically, you would think that God would pick a really great father in order to kind of get the nation going, all peoples blessed through you. Naturally, you would think that because that's how their system was already set up. But God didn't choose that person. He chose Abraham. 
At the time of Genesis 12, this big promise that we just read, he was 75 years old and he had no children, not one. And God chose him instead. If you look in ancient times, Firstborn sons were also highly valued. They were highly prized. They were a sign of strength. So how many of firstborn sons do we have in here? Okay. According even to God's law, the firstborn son was given double the amount of the inheritance. You can tell your parents that if you would like to cause a big family dispute. But (laughs) I'm not suggesting it. But if you do, I want to watch. Anyways. Okay. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. So... Firstborn sons, sign of strength. God actually kept picking not firstborn sons. He kept actually picking secondborn sons. So it wasn't Cain, it was Abel. It wasn't Ishmael, it was Isaac. It wasn't Esau, he picked Jacob. It didn't make any sense. For women in antiquity a long time ago, barrenness was this sign in their culture that it was a curse, that you were cursed. So you'd expect if God was going to get this numerous as the stars or all your descendants, all these things going, that he would probably pick a bunch of fertile myrtles to kind of have a bunch of babies, right? That's very logical. That's probably who you'd pick, right? No, he didn't. He kept picking barren women over and over again. All three patriarchs of our faiths, their wives were barren. Abraham's wife, Sarah, barren. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, barren. Jacob's wife, Rachel, barren. And when God started to get his plans going, he chose weak men, second-born sons, and a bunch of barren women. And over and over and over again, Abraham would remind us that you don't have to be strong. You don't have to produce a lot. You don't have to have anything other than God is just choosing you. Because even Jesus... When he came, he echoed the same truth that God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the strong because he chose fishermen, zealots, tax collectors, big time sinners to be his followers. That also was illogical because rabbi, like Jesus in that time, didn't pick their students. The students would pick the teacher because they would choose who they wanted to be like. But Jesus didn't do that. He flipped it. He chose them. He chose the fishermen. Why? Because God doesn't change. He's the same God in Abraham that he was when Jesus chose his disciples. And God the stronger always picks us the weaker. And God the clean always picks us the unclean. And God the capable one always picks us the incapable ones. And God chooses you over and over and over again. And you don't have to even be strong. You just have to to be willing. That's it. That's all you got to do. You see, I mentioned my dad before. My dad, um, I never really knew where my dad's faith journey was. I didn't really know. It was kind of complex. I knew at some time um, when he was a youth, in his youth, that he gave his life to Jesus and salvation. My grandma, my aunt had told me that. When I was around 15, I came to really realize that, oh, God is actually real. This is awesome. And I, I started to follow him, and I never, ever saw it coming that somehow God would rescue my dad. I never saw it coming. It seemed absolutely impossible. And he's since passed away. And I have spent 
um, a lot of time just asking God, how in the world did you do that in him? The last few years before he passed away is when his life totally changed. It seemed utterly impossible. That's how I knew it was God. How in the world did you do that? I thought about a couple people. I thought about this guy that he would go to and ask all of his questions, crazy questions. My dad had read the Bible from front to back multiple times. He had told me that as a kid, and it was always littered with a bunch of doubt. And he came to this guy and he asked him, what about this in the Bible? What about this in the Bible? What about that? What about the dinosaurs? Why do bad things happen to good people? All of it. And this guy so patiently answered over a series of many months, all of my dad's questions. If he didn't know the answer, he would find it and talk about it next time. And he would do that. I thought God used that, that guy. Undoubtedly, God used that guy. I thought about this guy, Charlie. His name was Charlie Hill. He and my dad went to school in a one-room schoolhouse. I told you, it was kind of like Little House on the Prairie, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, they went to school in a one-room schoolhouse together. They never left that same town. They were there. How I knew Charlie is he was the guy who was always, when we went to town, because that was an event, when we went to town, that he would yell, hey, Keith, how you doing? And he would cross the street and we'd have to wait outside my dad's truck to get in because here comes Charlie and he's trying to talk to my dad. I remember being at a coffee shop or something and, and Charlie not just saying hi and walking by, but I remember him sitting down and, and talking with my dad a few minutes. They didn't work together. They didn't share a lot of life, but he knew him. And so he sat and tried to catch up. And I remember my dad saying, he didn't say things like, oh, he knows God. He said things like, oh, that guy's religious, Rachel. That guy's a good guy. And I thought, I think, God, you use Charlie. I think you use him too. You see, and you and I can't miss the mission that's right in front of us, which are the people in our lives. And we cannot think for one minute that just because our gifts become, come naturally to us, that they aren't supernatural, that they're not from God, because that's how he designed it. You cannot compare your life and yourself and your journey to every other person's that you know, because there's only one thing that we all share in, which is this. Jesus just looks at us and says, come follow me. That's it. That's the part that matters. And you can't look at your life, any, any area that you're called to, any place in your life, any person or relationship, like it's too far gone or too far dead if you believe in resurrection. Because resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Resurrection says that we really do believe that Jesus was dead, that he really was, that he was in a tomb, that there was a stone that was sealed. And three days went by and all of a sudden, a big breath changed everything. And he was suddenly alive. So there's no room in your personal theology about yourself, your life, your relationships, or even your calling that you have any amount of ability to say it's too far dead, it's too far gone, because God it can never be held in a grave. He's the living God. It's what he does. And so we step into every situation and we sow seeds of faith into relationships, into people, into service projects, into all of this over and over again, fully assured that he will breathe some life into it over and over and over again. God is reminding you of these things. 
You see, and somehow we just keep moving and we just keep following and we just keep going. And that's the exact thing that we see in our God is that somehow that for God so loved the world that he came, that he went, that he moved. And God never stops running after you. He always start, keeps moving towards you. You see, my dad, I don't know, it was complicated. I don't know if he really was a prodigal. I don't know if he just all of a sudden had the, yes, now I believe in God, salvation moment a few years before he died. I don't really know. But I would tell you that I knew my dad would tell me, hey, Rachel, I don't get it all right. Hey, Rachel, I've made a lot of mistakes. Hey, Rachel, I don't, you know, I'm sorry what happened with, with your mom and I. Hey, I'm sorry that this, I'm sorry. No, 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 you don't have to apologize because when I think about my dad, I don't think about the prodigal. That's not what I see walking down the road. All I see is the running father who's coming after him. And so maybe that's you this morning. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And so Jesus, we love you. Maybe you have realized even this morning, hey, there's a running father that's coming after me. There's a running father who's not looking at any ounce of my shame. There's a running father who's coming and he wants to know me. He's there. He's coming. And so if you want to rededicate your life to God, or maybe for the first time ever say, I will really will surrender my life to Jesus. I understand that my life is not meaningless. If that's you, just raise your hand across the room. Amen. Amen. So Jesus, we come to you, God. We come to you with certainty that you love us. Yes, God, you love us. You love us, God. We come to you and we ask you to be the Lord of our life again or for the first time. We come to you, God, seeing the running father with calling and purpose and plans for our life. We, call, we see the one who's choosing us coming down and you choose us, God. Would we surrender our lives to you? Would you fill us with your spirit? In Jesus' name, everyone said amen for those people, amen. Hey, there's, there's a lot that God did in Abraham's life. You see, he gave him the exact thing he promised, which was a son, his son Isaac. When his son Isaac was 15 years old, he took him up on a hill because he was being tested by God. God said, I want you to give me everything, even the thing that you've always wanted. I want you to sacrifice your son to kill him. That's complicated, right? And Abraham took Isaac and he went up on the hill and he was getting ready to do the whole thing in obedience and surrender to God. And God said, stop stop. You don't have to do that. I've made a way for you. There's a ram in a bush over there. That's going to be your sacrifice. You passed the test, Abraham. You were willing to give me everything. You see, because God always makes a way for us. It's what he did with his son for each and every single one of us. It's not a one-time thing in salvation. It's something he does for you over and over and over again, because you matter more than, than you even realize. And so Maybe today God is reminding those of you in this room that you're calling the people in your life, the things that you're not even really sure about and you can't count and quantify and measure. Maybe he's just reminding you, there's a lot of purpose in there and I wanna take that land. I wanna go in, will you lead me in?
And so if that's you today, we don't have to close our eyes. We just stretch out your hands. Let's pray for us today. God, you've given us purpose more than you realize, more than we realize. God, remind us what Abraham would tell us, which is just maybe just obey because there's a lot of stars in the sky that maybe God, that we can't always see everything that you're doing in our lives. We can't always understand it, but it's really there behind the blue sky, reminding us of your faithful promise that you're with us. Holy Spirit, would you equip us? Would you empower us to walk into our lives with fresh purpose, fresh anointing, being sent by you to help the people of this earth come to know you because our purpose, it matters. It matters more than we realize. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand on our feet, church. I just want to take a moment and encourage you, if you said yes to following Jesus or yes to, to rededicating your life to Jesus, in your seat there's a card that says, I have decided. I would encourage you to just take a moment and fill that card out for us and drop it in the offering as, it's, as it goes by in just a moment. We want to, um, Rachel mentioned it, but we are the family of faith. We don't do life alone. We don't want you to have to walk out these doors without having community surround you. And we want to walk with you as you follow Jesus because it's this beautiful moment when you say, I will follow Jesus. You're surrounded by people who have said and declared the exact same thing. So not only have I decided to follow Jesus or I will follow, but we will follow. And it's this beautiful moment of community. I wanna encourage you, take advantage of that. Um, we're, in a moment, we're gonna have an incredible prayer team down front to, if you wanna receive prayer for any reason. Our ushers can go ahead and come forward. And as they do that, I just wanna give you one just quick update, one quick uh, announcement really more than anything else. And um, this week we actually had some incredible news as a church is that we uh, just received approval or just received our accreditation from ECFA which is a, um, a financial accountability firm. Basically, they help churches and ministries uh, make sure that they have the highest integrity possible when it comes to how they handle and process their finances as a church. So as Radiant Church, we are committed to walking in integrity, walking in transparency and accountability. And ECFA is a just a great step for us as a church to communicate that we take this seriously and that we're doing this well. So I just wanna say thank you. I wanna thank our trustees. So many people were involved in this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just an incredible step. So I just wanted to give you that update. Um, we're so excited for that. So let's pray for our offering and then we'll give and we'll worship. Um, and as the worship team plays, prayer team, you can go ahead and come on down front as well. So Jesus, we thank you for every single man and woman in this room. We thank you that you've called us, that you've equipped us, that you've empowered us to make a difference in this world, to shine brightly the light of Christ to a broken and hurting world. God, I pray that you take these resources and you use them to impact people. It's like Rachel said, the things that last forever, you, your people, and your word. God, allow these resources to change lives. Allow these resources to impact people at Serve Day on Saturday in small groups all through the week, Father God, at, at bowl conferences in um, Camp Radiant, Jesus, our global missionaries, our national efforts, Jesus, all over. God, I pray that you would have your way, that you would make a difference through your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.